You are listening to a brand new series to First Team Podcast called First Team Podcast Extra Time with your host, John Frusciante and former professional soccer player in the United States and for the Barbados national team, Kiesel Broom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of First Team Podcast Extra Time with the one and only Kiesel Broom. How is it going, Kiesel? All is well. All is well. Just, you know, living living in paradise, and I can't complain, you know? Yeah, yeah. So on this week's episode, we are going to discuss uh, American soccer players that have made, or young American soccer players, that made the move to Europe, um, in some cases, without even playing a minute in U.S. soccer. So I guess the obvious answer is that they're moving to Europe because it's better quality, right? Uh, and they want to further their career. Uh, but I think that's a problem for U.S. soccer to a certain extent. Do you agree with that? or? I think the biggest problem is going to college. I think that's probably one of the biggest gaps because you think about it, you're stuck in one kind of, um, what do you want to call it? You're stuck in one kind of plateau of level for four years. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's one of my biggest things. Because like, obviously, people are always looking to go and develop and things like that, and they want to play at the highest level. But at the same time, like you, once you go to college, you're at that same level for four years, and you're not getting any better. If that makes sense. Like obviously, you get better as a player from freshman to senior year, but in terms of like the level getting that much better, um, you know, I feel like it's really just kind of stays the same. If I'm being honest with you. That is a, a very good point because I guess that goes back to the academy system, right? Because in Europe, uh, they don't really go to college and, and, and get drafted that way, right? They don't do that. Uh, they play within their academy system and they develop eventually if they're good enough to get to the first team. But here you're being developed and you're getting a education and then uh, you're hopefully going to become a professional player. But uh, then you have to learn again what that system is, right? So I guess that's a massive problem. Was that a big problem when you went to San Jose uh, because you played college soccer and then you had to develop with the major league soccer team? Um, I think the biggest thing for me was the fact that the I think from the college game to the pro game is completely different. And there's a huge adjustment period for a lot of guys um, unless they've been in that system where – they were a 17, 18 year old playing with the first team and getting the, those type of minutes and training. But like for guys that weren't, didn't have the ability, especially the year or that time frame where I was growing up, where like I, I came out of FC Delco, you know, we, there was no Philadelphia Union at the time, so it was a situation where, you know, that jump from college to pro, it took you know a few different times to get used to it, you know, and um, I think kids now have a lot more opportunity to really kind of bridge that gap because they have the, you know, the system where they go up to the youth ranks and then they get a chance to play with the feeder USL team or they get a chance to play with the first team on different occasions. And like the level of play, the only way that you're going to get better is by consistently playing at that level of play and playing up to that level, you know, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things. And uh, do you think the reason why younger American players, uh, do you think the reason why they don't play a minute in U.S. soccer is that because they don't want to be stuck within the system? Uh, because we always talk about Major League Soccer and how hard it might be uh, to leave that setup. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, if if you have an opportunity to go overseas at a young age and play mm-hmm. in one of those top academies, in my honest opinion, I think the kids should do it. 
you know, other players should do it, you know, because once you get into that MLS system, it is hard because there's so many different rules in terms of like discovery rights and who has the right of like first refusal. And if they're in an academy player, even like if, if you're an academy player through like Red Bull Academy, right, for example, and you go to college for four years, the Red Bulls have to deny your option first before anybody else has a say. So, like, you know, obviously once you're in the MLS system, it's awesome. But sometimes it's really hard to get out if you're a top player, especially at a young age. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the concern there when it's not a free market. Uh, but you have played with a player that has gone down that route in Haji Wright. Uh, he left LA Galaxy, and I guess at that time it was a shock uh, when he left LA Galaxy to join the New York Cosmos. Uh, and I believe he played uh, a handful of B uh, matches, right, uh, with Cosmos B. Uh, I don't think he made an appearance with the first team. I could be wrong. Maybe a U.S. Open Cup match for a couple minutes. Uh, but uh, he was a very hot prospect for the New York Cosmos. But at the time, the the chatter within the fan base was that uh, he just joined the Cosmos until he turned 18. And then he was going to join Schalke, which he did. Um, and now he's still playing in Europe, now at Schalke, of course. Uh, but uh, how was it like playing with someone like that, that uh, might be a wonder kid, right? So, Yeah, I mean, Haji, uh, I mean, first of all, is a great person, you know, a great human being. Um, but he had, especially at such a young age, a very good eye for goal. Um, you know, I think his physical stature was part of it, but uh, his speed was very lethal going forward. And I think it was kind of tough for him just because, you know, at that time uh, for the Cosmos and the players that were on that roster. I mean, obviously, you know, you have Raul. And then you had Leos Fernandez, who got, I think it was like Young Player of the Year. And then you had uh, Marco Senna, that was a defensive mid. And then you had um, Restrepo, that was a fast winger on the one side. And then you had, you know, either my, uh, Matt Stokelin or you had um, uh, Celerino, that was up top. So it was a tough, um, you know, front five or six to get – to get in you know and he had other great guys that were fighting for his time as well so i think for him it was a great learning opportunity to be in that type of environment and learn from pros that have been doing it for such a long time before he went overseas to really kind of see the the progress and um the structure of it and you know how he could really fit in and um i think for him it was it was, it was just more of a great opportunity and then he took that opportunity and run with it uh, over to germany yeah and i guess uh at the end of the day, right, you want American players to go abroad uh, to further their career, but I guess you want uh, the reputation of American soccer and the American player to be better, uh, but I don't think it has improved at all. I think people still look down at American soccer, I guess, because it's not a open system. Uh, but uh, I guess we do have some decent players within the United States that are not uh, out there because... We don't play in an open system, really. Well, I think that, I mean, the league itself has gotten better, right? I think the league, the the level of players definitely gotten better. But if you look, I, I feel like not that it's the homegrown players, it's the players that are coming from overseas um, that are big names or are coming from South America. I think that's why the league has gotten better, more of an influx of out of, you know, not U.S.-based born players. But you do have the young players, like if you look at the Philadelphia Union, you know, how many homegrown players are consistently getting minutes for them, right? You got um, Aronson that just signed a deal over in Europe. 
Mark McKenzie's getting a lot of love, a lot of interest from overseas. Um, you know, you have at least another three or four guys that have gone through their entire academy system from youth level to um, Bethlehem Steel or Union to now they're getting first team minutes and now they're getting national team call-ups on top of it, right? So I think there are specific systems throughout the U.S. that have it down and they have a great basis and foundation where we're going to consistently grow. But then you have others that just aren't there yet, but they're looking to get there. But I think the overall league play in terms of soccer in the U.S. has gotten better. But I think personally it's come from players that aren't born in the U.S. Yeah, and we talked about it earlier about the draft and the academy system. Uh, but do you think it still works if we want to become a powerhouse in U.S. soccer? Do you think uh, the draft system for Major League Soccer works compared to the youth academy system? Um, I think I think the draft is a great opportunity uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of college players to get their you know get their dream and. Um, get to where they want to go, especially if they've done well at the college level. I know usually the, the top, usually the first round picks usually pan out in the first, in the, in the, um, in the league. But, um, it's, it's different times now. You know, I feel like, you know, 10 years ago draft, the draft was the only way to get there, but now it's like, okay, cool. So, you know, players can actually bypass college, you know, sign a homegrown deal and they get the first team, you know, training minutes, but get the USL game minutes. And, you know, they're living their dream. They're playing professional. They have a, they're making a great salary. Um, and I, th- I think they still have an opportunity to still get a degree. Obviously can't play soccer in college, but they can still get a degree on top of it. So, I mean, for if you're that level of player at a young age, why not just do that? You still get your four-year degree. You're making a great salary. You're getting first-team minutes, second, uh, you know, reserve minutes as well. And, you know, you're doing what others are doing across the road. It's just taking us – a little bit longer to get there. Yeah, and I think uh, around the world, the academy system, they're not choosing over a education uh, over playing soccer professionally. I think they are playing uh, within their academy system, but they're still receiving a education, right? So I don't think there's a problem in that uh, mm-hmm. because I think as a fan, and I guess you can talk as a former professional soccer player, but I would rather see the Cosmos, for example, bring in younger players if we had a better system and uh, build that further talent. You know what I mean? And then from a business standpoint, they can say, okay, if we want to sell those players on, we could. Uh, but if we want to improve our first team, then we could as well with homegrown players from our local community rather than uh, hoping to get maybe draft picks from Major League Soccer or people that, that just didn't sign, right? So just free agents. Right. I mean, I definitely agree with you. But sometimes you know, sometimes that we forget because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, um, think about it. What do you, remember, do you know what year the MLS started? Yeah, yeah. 96, right? And right now we're in 2020. So we're about what, 24 years, if I do the math correctly, something like that. But not, yeah, 24 years. So that's not a long time compared to a lot of these other countries that have been doing it for centuries, right? I mean, yeah. England's one of them. You know, South America's and like anywhere in South America is another one where these countries have been doing it for a long, long time. So they figured it out. It's just now we're just trying to catch up to the rest of the world. And I think once, you know, I think we're when teams are doing what like the Philadelphia union are doing when they're housing their, you know, players from across the country um, and things like that. I mean, you know, and you're seeing the result, you know, it's remember they started in 2010. So 10 years later, 
you have the Aronsons and the McKenzies and the who else is there? I can't even, I don't even know um, that have gone through the entire academy system. Now they're getting first team minutes, and now they're going on to sign deals in Europe, right? And said so that that took ten years. So just imagine another ten years or twenty years from now, what all the rest of the other MLS. Um, teams are going to do with their academy and the players that they're going to be able to produce with the year-round consistent training and you know obviously i'm a, I'm a i have a little bit of a bias because i'm from delaware and the union are you know five minutes from my uh, house and i live there but you know you want to talk about you know eat sleep and breathe soccer on top of getting an education all at the same place they're doing it right you know and from my knowledge i don't know too many other teams that have that capability so I think, you know, give another 10, 20, 30 years, you're going to see a lot of other um, places mimic what the union are doing. Yeah, and I guess another problem for me in uh, U.S. soccer is transfer fees. And I know we sort of talked about this on previous episodes, uh, but I guess it's because, um, and I was trying to think about it earlier today before we came on to record, uh, because... I remember we talked about it last week uh, when one listener said, oh, hey, uh, the owners don't have enough money. They're not making that much money from the team to pay their players. But then my same argument is that, well, the players are the main employees, right? So, yeah, give them a living wage. But to ask for transfer fees, well, that comes with uh, having a multi-year contract for multiple players, right? So I guess maybe that just goes back to just growing the game, give U.S. soccer another 10, 20 years. Do you believe that? Or do you think we should be seeing that now? I mean, to be fair, you make a really good point because Mm -hmm. I feel like with what's going on U.S. soccer, how the contract structure is, there's when players are just coming out or even if they've been maybe a year or two into it, they're signing one-year deals with a club option for the second, right? So if the club doesn't want that player for the second year, they just walk on a free, right? Instead of maybe signing somebody for two, three years, if somebody else expresses interest, um, they can 100% then buy that player. And then you then now you're talking business, right? Because there's money involved. Yeah, where, yeah. You know, you know, where if you just paying a player for one year and then they go walk afterwards and go wherever they want to. I would rather make a profit on somebody that I've invested in than let somebody walk for free. Right. Cause at the end of the day, obviously sport is great. And then, you know, a lot of people love it, but if I'm a business owner, I'm looking to make a profit. Right. And especially if I'm making, if I have all these players that I have on my roster, if I can make a profit on each and every one, I a hundred percent would. I guess that's the thing is that, uh, people in uh, soccer in the United States, uh, they don't really uh, worry about the business side because if they did, everyone would be on living wages and we wouldn't really probably ha- be having this conversation. But lastly here, Kiesel, uh, do you think the United States Soccer Federation has to add something to the professional league standard uh, that mandates that uh, maybe we need to have a more professionalized system for the players. So maybe a, a living wage, maybe a budget for housing, right? So maybe more standards when it comes to professional soccer players throughout the pyramid, right? So from third, fourth division up uh, to Major League Soccer. Oh, I 100% think so. I think it shouldn't be a case-by-case or team-by-team basis. I think it should be a, a nationwide that, like, this is the minimum that a player can make depending on the league division, right? I think every league's going to be different in terms of the revenue they get from sponsorships and TV deals and things like that. But I feel like no matter what, 
you know, there should be some type of minimum that's whether if you're division two status, players are, are expected to get minimum of this, right? If you're a division one status, you know, players are expected to get a minimum of this, right? And it's a, it's a consistent thing from league one all the way down to league four that there is some type of minimum. So players know exactly what to expect. And, um, if, and, and to be fair, I don't think there's anything wrong with a team saying that, hey, part of your wage is going to we're going to give you a lot of coaching opportunity. Right. But there needs to be a written number out where the, the player knows exactly how much extra money they will be able to make with that coach. So they can factor that into their budget. Right. But if not, you can't say, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, there will be some coaching opportunities, but nobody knows exactly how much that's going to be. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a, a big part of it as well. 